0: When I was picking songs for this week, I thought, uh, okay, i got to try and find things that kind of tie into the message, and I completely forgot we were having Christmas, too. (laughs) So we're going to change a couple of them. The first one will be Joy to the World, number 122. Joy to the World.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the House of the Lord, this second second Sunday of Advent. It is good to fellowship with one another and bring glory to God by singing together and hearing his word. We welcome all who are gathered here, as well as those who will be listening to the broadcast later in the week. I pray that we would be blessed, that we would experience God this morning, and that it would spur us on to bear fruit in our life's spiritual journey. Again, this being the second Sunday of Advent, I was led to an opening scripture found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7, and it reads as follows. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, thy rod the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fire for fuel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a child is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The word of Jesus' birth was prophesied and written some 800 years before Christ was born. It holds true today, some 2,000 years later, after Christ's death, and because of his resurrection, he will intercede for us eternally, the everlasting Father. We are of those people who once walked in darkness, but saw the great light. Now it's up to us to tell those people who dwell in the shadow of darkness and death about his great redemptive about this great redemptive light, this joy, Jesus the Christ. Uh, shall we pray invocation? Lord, we come before your presence this morning rejoicing and praising you that we no longer walk in darkness, but indeed we have seen that great light and you have broken the yoke of darkness. We thank you above measure for what you have done for us, redeeming us by your blood and interceding for us this very hour and eternally. Lord, would you guide our thoughts this morning as we sing sing, your praises and as we listen to and hear your word. May it stir our hearts so that we would walk in obedience to you and your will, both individually and corporately as a church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Would you turn with me in your hymn books to number 343, O Jesus, I Have Promised, 343. And then uh, turn back to hymn number 123. The words of that last song, I think will um, you'll connect those with my sermon, and this one you'll connect with Christmas. Christians Awake. Christmas carol? Sort of? (laughs) Okay, maybe we'll sing it again before Christmas is gone.
2: The reading for the second Sunday in Advent is from the prophet Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver." and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years.
3: Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 79, Zechariah prophesies. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the dayspring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet and the shadow of to guide our feet into the way of peace.
2: Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, During the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the regions around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Let us pray together. O God, our help in ages past. Our hope for years to come. We have come together to worship you and to praise you for your eternal love, which has brought salvation to all mankind. We have come together to thank you for the gifts of redemption which we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. May our hearts be opened and ready to receive that which you have prepared for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Take your bulletins and we'll look at the concerns of the church. Uh, Look at uh, next Sunday's service, the activities going on. Uh, The week's activities at Winker Birchthaler, take note of them. Church family praise concern, uh, people with health care needs, uh, Olga Friesen and Dietrich Martins are still at Boundary Trails Health Centre, pray for them and their families. Uh, Betty Reimer is still in Emerson um, with uh, battling cancer as well and a lot of pain, so remember her in prayer. Our missionaries of the week are Don and Char-Epp, an expressions of sympathy, Tina Cron passed away Sunday, November 28th. A private funeral was held. She was a mother-in-law to Irene Cron. And we informed last night that John J. H. Dick passed away. Um, Pray for Betty and the family. Uh, Betty is our librarian, as you know. Ladies' Sunday School will begin today with uh, Eileen Engbrecht leading it. All ladies are welcome. There's a change of address for John H. Dick, who has moved from Homestead South to Tabor Home in Morden. Pray that he would adjust well take note of our daily bread and a person is needed for folding bulletins if you are willing Uh, please contact Susan in the office Uh, pray for Helen Reimer in Mexico dealing with uh, ill parents in its church planning sessions we want to highlight that this morning again we invite all active church members and frequent regular attenders to participate in our church planning sessions sign up sheets are in the foyer The sessions will take place in late January 22 and take up about 12 hours of your time. Specific dates have yet to be determined. Each participant is required to have his or her own email address. This will assist the session facilitators to collect data which will be used to tailor individual workbooks for each participant. If you do not have an email address or even internet service, that is no problem. We will help you through the process. Here are the steps to follow. Sign up in the foyer, get yourself an email address if you don't have one. I know Pastor Vic was willing to help you if you need help. You will receive a questionnaire by email. Please answer the questionnaire and submit it to our facilitators. You will receive a personal workbook for the planning sessions. And please contact the church office uh, for any other assistance with any part of the process. Take note of birthdays and uh, anniversaries and also other community events. We uh, want to also remember the residents of Salem and Tabor Home, as well as Betty Reimer and Emerson, and take a a note of that and pray for these people as well. Then we uh, did receive a a note of thanks from uh, Kevin and Julia Garrett, I'll just read it. Thank you for your kind and generous support this year for Myanmar. Your prayers and kindness carried us. Praying blessings of peace and joy this Christmas season. Again, that's from uh, Kevin and Julia Garrett. I'll ask the ushers to come forward, and uh, we'll pray. Shall we'll we bow our heads to pray? Lord, we approach your throne of grace with thanksgiving and praise. We thank you that you paved the way for turning darkness into light breaking the yoke and burden of sin. You have told us to cast our cares upon you, so we place our burdens and cares upon you, knowing you care for us. Where we have erred, sinned, or had ill intentions, help us to search our hearts and forgive our sin, both individually and corporately as a body. Help us overcome temptation and deliver us from evil. We pray for every member of this congregation That we would be obedient to your call on our lives, and fulfill the purpose for which you created us and designed us to serve. God, we trust in your perfect, trustworthy character, for your mysterious works are beyond our comprehension. Lord, we pray for lost souls, that those who walk in darkness would see this great light, Jesus, and that you would shine and radiate this great light on those lost souls. Lord, help us to see where you are at work that we would join you, and that revival would come. We pray for our missionaries and their families. Guide them, protect them, and place them in the midst of revival. Give them boldness, courage, and perseverance to minister to the unbelieving, and give spiritual wisdom to Don and Shariup for the ministry to which you have called them. Lord, we pray for Olga Friesen and Dietrich Martins at Boundary Trails Health Centre. We pray that your healing hand would touch and restore Olga and Dietrich. We pray for your healing for others that are sick and convalescing at home and that you would help Betty Reimer endure her pain. Also be with Helen Reimer in Mexico as she cares for needy parents. Lord, we also thank you for the many people that have experienced your healing. Lord, we also lift up Tina Cron and the John Dick families as they experience the valley of death. Lord, minister to these families and be the God of comfort, compassion, strength, and peace. Guide them through this morning process. We pray your blessing on Dennis Dirksen and his family, as he will be commissioned as a deacon next Sunday. Prepare him for the task to which you have signed him. Lord, we pray for Eileen Engbrecht and the ladies as they begin Ladies Sunday School, that they will learn, grow, and mature in their faith. Lord, we lift up the residents at Salem and Tabor Home, and particularly those affiliated with our congregation. Draw them closer to you and sustain them spiritually. We also pray that John Dick would adjust to his new quarters at Tabor Home. God, we also rejoice with those who are celebrating birthdays and anniversary milestones. We pray for our governments, our justice system, and those in authority over us. First, we pray for their salvation, and that they would govern and rule in a way that would bring blessing on our nation. Dear God, we place our upcoming church planning sessions into your mighty hand. Would you give us vision and direction for the future of this church and help us to be open to embrace where you are guiding and directing us. Lord, we pray for our pastors and their families. Protect them, direct their paths, and help them carry out your vision for us as a body of believers. We thank you for the gifts, tithes, and offerings that continue to flow from your hand. Bless those that give and continue to multiply the gifts. We thank you for all the participants in the morning's worship service and their willingness to serve. Bless each one for their service. Anoint your servant, Pastor Victor, to share the truth of your word. And we pray that our spiritual eyes would be open to these truths. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is so good to see so many
4: familiar faces. I grew up in this church. And uh, every time I come here, I look at the globe lights, and I know that this is the second set. And I wish, wish I could have uh, got one of those original ones, put them in my entrance or something like that. <clears throat> and I remember being a, a pain and a disturbance up in the balcony by Mr. Braun there remember Dad uh, and Mom gave me a I will sing, I promise you a number of uh, scoldings and admonitions and stuff like that and that's why I've turned into this fine young man you see here today <laughs> relatively speaking um, this song I will sing is called Will You See Christmas and uh, I'm just thinking about the back to the time that I last sung on this stage and it was at Dad's funeral and uh, I miss him this song wouldn't, I don't know, be complete if he hadn't had said, uh, "In two weeks we have Christmas at our house. You need to finish your song, and you'll be performing it." Okay, all right. So I did, and I'm, I'm glad I did. You can all listen, uh, but this is really for my mom and my dad.
5: Listen, Christmas bells are ringing in the air. Can't you hear them singing? Carolers are rushing here and there. Did you know Jesus Christ was born this very day, many years ago in Bethlehem? Will you see Christmas? Can you see it's more than just one day? Will you remember the child and the price he had to pay? Take the story home for everyone to share. Take time at Christmas He'll find you there and King of kings Wrapped in swaddling clothes A peaceful rest And a star hangs over the one Mother's arms enfold This blessedness And did you know Angels kept on singing Through the night child of the joy of the light Will you see Christmas Can you see it's more than just one day Will you remember the child The price he had to pay And take the story home For everyone to share Take time at Christmas He'll find you there Take time at Christmas Can't you see it's more than just one day Will you remember the child The price he had to pay Take the story home everyone to share Take time at Christmas He'll find you there Just take time at Christmas He'll find you there Thank you.
6: The scripture reading today is from First Peter four verses four to, uh, uh, verses one uh, pardon me one to eleven <clears throat> therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives. For evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, Amen.
0: When I decided to quit my 30 year career at a farm equipment dealership and take up studies at a seminary, I knew that I was in for a monumental change. It was going to be a lot of work changing daily routines, learning to read, lots of thinking, lots of writing, and engagement in classrooms where I suspected I would often be in the minority. On one hand, it was an exciting adventure to dive into, and on the other hand, it meant a lot of mental preparation for work ahead, engagement in an environment that was mostly new to me, and a commitment to see it through. You see, in my youth, studying was not something I preferred to do. I had many other preferences. In my first year of Bible college, I failed most of my subjects. I did well in voice and conducting, but the rest was pretty much a loss. Not because I couldn't do it. I just didn't want to. I wasn't interested. I played pool instead. So when I was 55, I quit my job and I headed for school. Seminary, no less And after 15 years as a lay minister I was sufficiently interested to take on the challenge of a total change in vocation I was excited about it because I thought God had prepared me For more hands-on work in the church It also seemed a daunting task But I was mentally prepared And I was committed to the work Are we mentally prepared for the work that God has laid out for us? And are we prepared to suffer as we do it? And are we prepared to do it graciously? That's what we're going to look at today. The last time in 1 Peter, or the last time we were in 1 Peter, we looked at chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. And there we learned what it meant to suffer for the sake of what is right. Uh, And the example held up for us was the suffering that Jesus did to bring us to God. That was the example. We learned that we need to adjust our thinking so that we no longer live according to the flesh, but according to the will of God. We ended up with uh, the first two verses of chapter 4 that are also going to start us off today. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Our study of chapter 3 led us to the following conclusion about how we are to think and conduct ourselves honorably. We must have unity of mind, a common commitment to Christ. And his church, characterized by sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Secondly, we must exhibit changed thinking, from worldly thinking to godly thinking, not retaliation, but blessing, not doing evil, but doing good and pursuing peace, not fearing our persecutors, but honoring Christ by being prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in us. That's our changed thinking. And then the third one was, we can suffer because Christ has suffered. The one who has sinned not for all those who did to bring us to God. Because Jesus suffered for us, we can suffer for him. I'm often reminded of a line of one of my former pastors uh, who said about the Christian life, he said, we don't have to live, we can die. <laughs> what a great statement. We can die, and it's not the end of us, right? If, if, if it takes death to, to be that witness, to stand with Christ, we can do that, and we still, we still uh, are victorious. I've entitled this morning's message, Stewards of God's Grace. And you might be wondering why uh, we're talking about suffering if the message is about grace. But this is why. As we suffer for Jesus, we will also have to be gracious to be like him. We have to be gracious to be like him. Jesus suffered, therefore we will suffer if we follow him. Typically we follow people that we want to emulate If there's something about a person that intrigues us, we want to find out more. And if we become genuinely interested, we spend more time with that person, whether it's a living person or an author. And the more we do that, the more we become like that person. Jesus followers become like Jesus. We become like him in character, but we also become like him in the things we experience. And one thing that Jesus said about following him was that we will be hated. John 15:18 18-19 says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. How are hated people treated? Not well. They're mistreated. Jesus said in the following verse in John 15 Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Followers of Jesus will be hated by the world and persecuted by the world. Those who have suffered in the flesh. For these reasons are done with sin, the Bible tells us. They no longer walk in the ways of the world, but seek to walk in the ways of God. It would seem then that suffering for Jesus is good for us. It deters us from sin. Peter continues in verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. The world continues to pursue its pleasures, but the followers of Jesus have done enough of that that's what we have been saved from let's not waste any more of our time with these practices what's interesting here of course is the response of the world they don't just let you carry on without you they invite you to their revelry but they're surprised when you don't join them and they take offense and they malign you Malign is a word that means to show intense and often vicious ill will. Other translations use words like speaking evil, slander, or heaping insults or abuse. I did some research uh, on the Greek word here, and I found that it is the word blasphemontis, is the Greek word from which, of course, we get the English word blaspheme. It's the same word that was used when Jesus was being mocked by the temple guard at his midnight hearing. Uh, Luke 22 says they also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. It's the same same word as malign or uh, heap abuse. And it's the same word that... uh, was used when Paul was speaking to the crowds in Antioch. And a great crowd had gathered to hear him. And Acts thirteen forty five says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Same word, reviling. So this maligning or reviling or blaspheming is no little matter. It comes from people who are livid with anger, If you've never experienced such a thing, I don't wish it upon you. But as followers of Jesus, we should not be surprised when it happens. But just to encourage our spirits here for a moment, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. "'Blessed are you when others revile you.'" and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! Be glad! For, you, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If that happens to you, you're in good company. Rejoice! Rejoice! When the day comes where we will encounter hatred, persecution, and reviling, remember that the Lord knew about it beforehand. He will never abandon those who stand with him. I will never leave you or forsake you, says Hebrews 13.6. Another encouragement to remember is that those who abuse believers will be judged. They will not escape the judgment that awaits them. They will reap the harvest of their ways, knowing that justice will prevail and that no injustice will go unpunished. That is hope and strength to those who suffer for Christ. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, says verse 5. The next verse is a bit of a challenge, perhaps for the same reason that 1 Peter 3.19 is challenging. That's the verse that speaks of Jesus' proclamation to the spirits in prison. Not quite sure at first reading what it refers to. But if we look carefully at this verse, I think we'll find our, we find our answer. Verse 6 says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Which dead are these We know from Hebrews that after death comes the judgment. The believer believes before death, which is why he is saved. Those who die in their sins are not saved. Plus, judged in the flesh would also assume that one is still in the flesh and not separated from one's body. So preaching to the physically dead makes no sense. Therefore, we must conclude that the dead here are the spiritually dead, as we all were before we believed. And the purpose of preaching to the spiritually dead is that they will find life as we have. So let's get our heads around everything we've just talked about. Since Christ suffered in his body... We ought to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. That is, to have unity of mind, to have a changed mind uh, that doesn't think in a worldly way, but in a godly way. And three, that suffering, uh, suffering for Jesus because Jesus suffered for us. That's the mindset we have. Then, if he suffered hatred, persecution, and reviling, so will we. But those who are persecuted sorry, those who persecute us will face the judge of the living and the dead. And that is why the gospel is preached to the dead that they might live in the spirit the way God does. So I hope that encapsulates what we just talked about. Then Peter wrote, the end of all things is at hand. What does that mean? I'm sure if we... Passed a clipboard around the room, we would all find uh, we'd have several things to say about what that might mean. Here's one. With the coming of Jesus in the flesh to fulfill the law and usher in grace, God has already begun the work of reclaiming his creation. First, by declaring to the world, de- sorry, declaring truth to the world. Second, by judging sin and death, and third, by offering life to the dead. When Jesus came to earth as a man, the end of things had begun, and Jesus was the beginning of the end. The end of all things is at hand. Another encouraging thing for believers is that the Bible speaks of this often, this assures us that as the world spirals into chaos, we can be confident because we've been warned that it will happen. And, that, and we've been warned about the end and about the symptoms of the end. There's no need for us to be anxious wondering what in the world is going on. In Luke 21, Jesus said this, And there will be signs in sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth distress of nations, in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. How's that for encouragement? And he told them a parable look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as the, they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So, also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. That's encouragement. In Revelation 22, Jesus said to John, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So the end of all things is at hand. What then? What does it mean for us? Is there something to prepare? Something to do? Indeed there is. So here's the instruction for today. As we suffer do this. Verse 4. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Self-control is a much-needed virtue. One that helps us do what is right and avoid what is evil and sets our life on a reliable course. Self-control is needed in our actions so that we don't end up doing stupid things. We train ourselves not to act on impulse, Because impulse is like an animal instinct. Impulse is the opposite of carrying out a thoughtful plan. And I'm not saying there's no place for impulse. It certainly has its place. But most of the time, if we don't plan our actions, we run the risk of acting like fools, like walking past the place that holds the most temptation for us. Why would you risk doing that? Such a move almost guarantees failure. But if we control our actions so that people can observe the care with which we live, we'll be of service to many people. Self-control is needed in our actions. Self-control is also needed in our words. How often if you wanted to say something to someone just to teach them a thing or two? <laughs> and then later you thought, well, maybe that wasn't the right thing to say. We need to be careful about our words before we say them because... Once they're out, you cannot unsay them. Careless words can cause great pain and undo much relationship building. But if we plan to say good, helpful, and wise words, we will be a blessing to many and encourage many. Self control is needed in our words, self control is also needed in our thoughts. All of us experience thoughts in our minds that we know we should not think. Make a practice of dismissing those thoughts immediately. One prayer that God answers for me every time right away is when I want to bring my thoughts to him and uh, take every thought captive to Christ. And I ask him to remove those thoughts, and he does. And unless I go looking for those thoughts, they're gone. And I can carry on. Remember, all sin begins in the mind. If you don't think it, you won't say it or do it. Paul wrote whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Self-control is needed in our thoughts. Along with self-control is being sober-minded or clear-minded. This would mean avoid, avoiding things that cloud the mind. Drugs and alcohol are an obvious and tangible example, but just as dangerous, maybe even more so, is being deceived by uh, people who twist and misinterpret scripture. Be careful of the teachings you put yourself under. Once your mind gets infected with false teaching, it gets increasingly difficult to see clearly. So keep your mind by reading your Bible a lot. If you do that, you will easily recognize false teaching. Psalm 119.52 says, When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. A few verses later it says, When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. And in Joshua 1.8 we read, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it for when you make your for when sorry for then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. It's critical for us to have our minds thinking right thoughts. And if you have them thinking the word of God, you are on a good path. Soaking our minds with scripture is the antidote to deception and unfruitful thinking. Notice then the reason that Peter gave for being self-controlled and sober-minded. He said, for the sake of your prayers. Do we want our prayers to be hindered? Don't we want to be heard? Don't we want answers? Self-control and a clear mind prevents us from becoming ineffective in our prayers. And then verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love is the ultimate principle of the Christian life. Do we love each other as Christ loved us? Do we harbor an undying, death-defying love for each other? Are we willing to lay down our lives for anyone in our fellowship? Love one another earnestly, it says, since love covers a multitude of sins. If you're like me, I, I have wondered what exactly that statement means. Has anyone else wondered that? <laughs> it could mean that our love overlooks a multitude of sins against us. right? If you love a person, it's much easier to, to accept their shortcomings, to bear with their foolishness, and even to put up with some bad behavior, right? If you really love that person, you can, you can let that all go pretty easy. It could also refer to God's love when he covers over a multitude of our sins, and perhaps it means both. In any case, we are urged, above all, to love one another deeply. So a quick recap here of this the end is near, therefore we uh, we ought to be self-controlled, sober-minded, and love one another deeply. And then, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Not really much explanation needed here. Don't serve with a grumpy and complaining heart. That is not being hospitable. It might be an expression of duty, but it's not... Very hospitable. God loves a cheerful giver, says 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So, hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then, uh, fifthly, in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Our behavior is focused by the words of verse 10, as good stewards of God's varied grace. What is a steward? A steward is an administrator or a manager That is responsible for something that has been entrusted to him by a higher authority. God has entrusted to us his grace, the same grace that is extended to us through Christ, the same grace that saved us. We're supposed to pass that on. Notice that it is a varied grace or a multifaceted grace. That means it applies to many people in many different situations. Also notice that the gifts God has given are the means by which we are to steward his grace. Our gifts are not for us. They're for others. For the body of Christ and for the saving of souls. So are we stewards of God's multifaceted grace, demonstrated through self-control a sober mind, a deep love, and cheerful hospitality, and the use of our gifts in speech and service. So how do we bring the suffering we talked about earlier, bring that together with the stewardship of God's grace? I think we do it like this. As we suffer for the name of Jesus, we are to steward God's multifaceted grace to the world, for his glory. The, the suffering will come when it comes. The question is, are we being gracious toward others with the gifts he has given? So the grace is always there. The suffering may not be there, but when it is there, are we also gracious then? And I thought, well, why don't we push a few buttons here this morning? Are we gracious with each other in our disagreements? Or do we spit and cuss at each other like, like cats in heat? That's not a very good picture, but I think that maybe is how it appears to God if when we're not gracious with each other. Do we mumble about others under our breath and talk about them in the coffee shop? Are we gracious with those who prefer to worship with music we don't particularly like? Are we gracious with people who think differently than we do about sharing a church building with another church. We don't all have the same thoughts about that. Are we gracious with each other? Are we who accept the use of masks gracious with those who do not? Are we who reject the use of masks gracious with those who do? Are we who believe in the COVID vaccine gracious with those who don't trust it? Are we who don't trust the vaccine gracious with those who do? Are we gracious with those who seem intolerant of our own position? Are we gracious with people who are really afraid of COVID? Are we gracious with those who don't seem to care one way or the other? Are we gracious with those who think the whole COVID thing is a bunch of hogwash? We have heard of, observed, and sometimes done terrible things to each other. Let's love each other deeply and make things right. God wants to be known in the world through us. If we're not gracious, how will the world know? Are we gracious with the poor, the orphans, and the widows? Or do we think someone else will take care of that? Are we gracious with people who hold to other religions? Are we gracious with people who embody the ways of the world? Drug addicts, alcoholics, gamblers, homosexuals, adulterers, fornicators, divorcees prostitutes, people who think they can change their gender, people who are addicted to pornography. This doesn't mean we accept their practices, but as people created in the image of God, they must be treated with grace so as to respect their human dignity. They're made in God's image. And if we don't treat them with grace, what will draw them to the kingdom? In the account of the woman caught in adultery, we see the grace of God in action. Jesus said to the Pharisees who wanted to stone her, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one, they left. Then Jesus asked the woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. That is grace. Jesus did not humiliate her, scold her, or condemn her. But he loved her, and he treated her with dignity. And he showed her the way of truth. Go and sin no more. Do we treat each other that way? Are we gracious with each other like that? So let's take grace to the next level. We talked about suffering in the beginning. Will we be gracious with those who malign us, who are vicious toward us, with those who hate us, who persecute us verbally and physically, Because we stand with Jesus. Will we be gracious with our persecutors while we suffer for Jesus' sake? Do you remember what Jesus said as he was being nailed to the tree? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. If we are not going to be gracious, we will be exactly like the rest of the world, abusive, accusing, belittling, ridiculing, mocking, insulting, destroying. And what kind of a witness are we to the world about God's, without God's grace? The end is near. Are we prepared for the work that God has prepared for us? The task of stewarding God's grace as we suffer seems a daunting task. Are we prepared to take it on? Are we committed and ready to do the work? Whether our suffering is small or great, let's steward the grace of God so that God may be glorified through our Savior, Jesus, by our godly behavior. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you ask hard things. It is hard for us even to be gracious with each other, never mind being gracious, gracious with enemies we don't even know. And so, Father, prepare us And may we be willing to prepare ourselves and to commit ourselves to the work that you have for us in suffering by standing with Jesus and doing it graciously. And then also as we fellowship in this body to love each other deeply. Thank you for your word. Give us strength. We need it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hymn books, and let's turn to number 348. Thank you, Diane. This is one of my favorites, and I think it really puts our, our commitment to the test when we think about having to do the things we just heard about. From Revelation chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.